The kids on Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? Halloween's a Freddy Krueger podcast. Was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. From the Consequence Podcast Network, the minds behind the Losers Club comes a new podcast in fantasy terror. Nancy? something wrong with you you're imagining things. halloweenies a freddy krueger podcast consequence podcast network my friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you but if you want to make love then i do too and i'll be right there behind you Constant listeners, and welcome to yet another bonus episode this week of the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast presented by the Consequence Podcast Network. I'm your host today, editor in chief Michael Rothman, and I'll be speaking with a very familiar face in King's Dominion. That's right, director Mick Garris has joined the pod. Now, if you recall, Mick was the very first interview for this podcast, dating all the way back to spring 2017, when we were talking about all those meeting minutes in the stand. Well, this time he's on the show to talk about his latest project, Nightmare Cinema, a new horror anthology film he directed alongside a very eclectic team of exceptional filmmakers, Alejandro Brue, David Slade, Rayuai Kitamura, and the one and only Joe Dante, who joined us on a special episode of Halloweenies you'll want to check out too. For this episode, though, Mick talked to me about how Nightmare Cinema all came together. He also digressed on his love for the anthology format. Let's not forget, he's responsible for Masters of Horror, if you recall that one. But he also gave me some insight into his own segment, Dead. Of course, no conversation on this series would be complete or warranted without a little visit to King's Dominion. And rest assured, we both talked about his recent chat with the King himself for his own podcast, Postmortem. So listen ahead, and we'll see you on the other side. Hey, how you doing? Very well, thanks. How about you? Good, good. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Um, you're one of the first interviews that we actually ever had on our uh, Losers Club Stephen King podcast, so it's uh, great to finally talk uh, to you. I again. remember doing. <laughs> yeah, great. I remember doing Consequences Sound. Ah, nice, nice. Well, you know, first off, congrats on everything that's happened over in the years since. Um, I'm a huge fan of Postmortem. Oh, thanks. Listen every week. It's just been great to see the evolution of that podcast, and um, it's just oh, thank you. That means a lot. But um, let's talk about Nightmare Cinema. Uh, I I just I sure. just, just got to see it. It was uh, a lot of fun. It just really brought me back to what I love so much of um, Masters of Horror and a lot of my favorite horror anthologies of the years past. And, um, you know, one of the things that's so great about it is that it just strings together filmmakers from all across the world. And I wanted to know, was that diversity by design or did it happen? Was it just kind of happenstance? It was definitely by design. In fact, the, the roots to Nightmare Cinema go back to uh, after uh, Masters of Horror was canceled, my concept was to follow it up with another series like that, 
but to do each episode in a different country with a filmmaker from that country. Mm. I thought that would be a really great way to do something really original in the horror genre in a way that had never been seen before. Mm -hmm. Well, that proved to be way too ambitious for the powers that be. (laughs) And uh, so I thought it might be interesting to try to do it as a series of feature films, uh, Nightmare Cinema Presents, and then do a 90-minute movie directed by uh, a different director from a different country each time out. So what we finally were able to get funded (laughs) was something a a lot less ambitious, uh, creatively ambitious, but not uh, not geographically ambitious, Um, getting a group of people from around the world who each had a really strong cinematic language and sense of style and individualism and and put them together uh, and cut them loose, you know, mm-hmm. let them do what they do the way they want to do it with not much time or money, but uh, <laughs> they got complete creative freedom. So it was the same philosophy as Masters of Horror, get great filmmakers and, and set them free, um, but, uh, but doing it all uh, as a feature film. Uh, all of it was shot in L.A., but these were filmmakers who I had known uh, from the dinners that led to Masters of Horror mm-hmm. and, and from other places. Joe Dante and I have known each other since the 70s. But um, I had met Ryuhei Kitamura at a screening of Midnight Meat Train uh, at the agency that at the time represented the two of us. Um, David Slade and Alejandro Bruges, I, I met both of them uh, at, at the dinners. And they were all the first choice I made. I knew I wanted this mix. Everybody lived in LA and was able to do it at that time. So it was a, a great, uh, a great circumstance of, of timing. Uh, and, and so all of these were my first choices. Oh, so you didn't, so you didn't have to do any phone calls where you're like, well, we, uh, we have to cut you. <laughs> we've, we've yeah, well, there were, <laughs> Yeah, there was a period where it looked like David Slade might not be able to do it because he was doing uh, Bandersnatch mm-hmm. uh, for um, Black Mirror. But it all worked out, and uh, and I couldn't be happier with, with what came together. Well, I think it's a lot of fun, and I, I thought that the, it really opens the doors to so many other possibilities, too. And, and it made me wonder, like, are you, have you discussed continuing this on another, you know, uh, another collection um, of anthology stories or possibly even as like uh, a series similar to Masters of Horror? Actually had that meeting today. Oh, wow. <laughs> so <laughs> we are discussing, uh, you're, you're very timely with this, but uh, yeah, we're talking about the possibility of either a sequel or multiple sequels or a regular series, which is how it was envisioned originally. Um, but, uh, you know, so far, that hasn't happened yet, but uh, it, it, it is a very strong possibility. So uh, there is a chance that there might be a number in the title of the next Nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Well, in this one, um, what I noticed is that so many of the chapters, uh, they, they kind of contend with uh, body horror. And, um, and I wanted to know if you thought that might be like a brand of horror that it's making a comeback. Well, you know, I think there are so many different kinds of horror. Obviously, body horror is something that people kind of uh, attribute originally to David Cronenberg, who was <laughs> the master of it from the beginnings. But, you know, there are so many different subgenres of horror 
and they all seem to be coming back. And I think one of the reasons is the multiple platforms that are out there, um, whether it's YouTube or Hulu or Vudu or or iTunes or Netflix or Epics or mm-hmm. any of these platforms, including commercial television. You know, even FX is is heavy into horror uh, TV series and the like. Uh, body horror is certainly one that is <laughs> is uh, celebrated in nightmare cinema, and and I love it. And Cronenberg is one of my favorites, and so that'll always be a part of my palette. Um, but we certainly weren't looking to to single it out in particular. Uh, really, just wanted the variety that is found in the horror genre to be well represented. And, and uh, yeah, whether it's the body horror of David Slade's or the hacking apart of bodies in Rive Kitamura's children's bodies, by the way, which I found uh, uh, hard to uh, believe that we got our R rating on the first time through. Yeah, um, that's a visceral. Yeah. <laughs> it's a vis- very <laughs> visceral. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of kind of shocking when you see it uh, for the first time going no, totally. in cold and not knowing what you're going to see. But yeah, I wanted to be able to represent a lot more than just one kind. And certainly uh not the the usual uh teen franchise horror movie. I mean, it looks like that's where we're going with the opening movie, mm-hmm. but we have surprises in store for you. <laughs> yeah, that's that's something I really love um about, you know about this film is that you do have, you know, a lot of adults that are front and center in these stories and I thought that that's something that seems to be lacking um in a lot of horror movies nowadays is that, you know, they're in, that I feel was very prominent um in like the, even like 70s and 80s horror for sure and you know and i wondered is if that was a concerted effort to kind of you know step away from some of the more like teen um not slasher elements but just teen elements of horror in general yeah well that's my least favorite genre in Mm -hmm. horror movies is the teen franchise you know um i know but that's also what the studios think of as horror they think horror is for and about young people yeah and if you go around the world, as I have to festivals all over and see movies that are made around the world, they're for grown-ups. They make the mm-hmm. teen stuff too, but it's it's not the bread and butter. Um, when you have an entire industry here in the United States think that it's only for kids, then that's what they sell. And, you know, we played on that with uh, The Thing in the Woods, Alejandro's segment, which is young people. You think it's a young people slasher movie, but it takes a very... <laughs> Yeah. prominent left turn right in the middle of it. <laughs> oh, it's not what I thought this was going to be. But yeah, I horror is not just for kids and it's not just blood and guts. In my own segment Dead, you know, it's a very emotional ghost story mm-hmm. that is very character driven and it's it it deals with adult emotions and and, you know, how far will a parent go in their love for their child, even if it means uh, endangering the life of that child? Mm-hmm. Um, and David Slade's is very adult and very yeah. grown up. And, and uh, you know, it's it's got a, a very deliberate pace. It's got a very strong point of view. Um, and, and there is variety there. Horror, mm-hmm. you can have an adult horror story that pe- appeals to a young audience as well. Um, so 
we're just trying to make the best movie we can and not just go, what will be commercial? Yeah. What will sell to the kids? I think the worst, the worst kind of filmmaking is trying to make a movie that will be popular. Agree a hundred percent. And then, and then honestly, even speaking personally, just in the past, like, I mean, some of my scariest experiences are just kind of watching the adults or the, the, especially as a kid, the, you know, the pseudo mom or dad that's in peril, you know, growing up, those are some of the scariest movies for me because in your eyes as a kid, they're superheroes. They shouldn't be in these sort of situations and yet they are. And it makes it so much more frightening to me. And I just think, feel it's, it's, it's such a key element of, um, of horror movies for sure to take away that sort of, it's like almost Absolutely. like ripping out the carpet. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the things that are most terrifying are the, the things that happen in the neighborhood, you know, mm-hmm. psycho isn't a teen horror movie. Mm-hmm. The exorcist is about grownups, uh, jaws, there are kids in it, but that's not who it's about. Yeah. You know, the scariest things happen to adults who can't control their fates. Yeah. You know, if you're a teenager and it happens to you, that's one thing. But if your parents are fucked, then you know, <laughs> really all bets are off. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, one thing that's definitely making a comeback in horror that I've noticed, especially in the last couple of years, is just the, the anthology format. And I, I wonder why do you think that is? And and especially, you know, you are you're such a veteran with this format. And I wondered, was that because of your work on Amazing Stories? You know, what, what, what do you love so much about the anthology format? Well, at the time of Amazing Stories, first of all, it was a great opportunity. My first job was writing for Steven Spielberg and then yeah. working with all these great directors. I was not a guy who watched TV series regularly at all. So watching a different movie every week, a a half hour movie was thrilling to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't have the time or the interest to get to know that TV family that showed up every week. You know, now it's different. Uh, Weekly television has matured in in so many ways and become so much better than movies in in most instances, Mm -hmm. not most, but in many instances. Um, But I love the idea that you're going to get a variety of filmmaker points of view that you're not going to see the same thing every week or in the case of an anthology movie that you're not going to see the same thing over and over. You're going to get something fresh each time, especially when it's an anthology that features a variety of filmmakers uh, rather than just one filmmaker all the way through. But it harkens back to, to the great British anthologies of the 70s that I grew up with when I was young the Tales from the Crypt and mm-hmm. Vault of Horror and Asylum and Tales that Witness Madness. Each of those were, were made by a single director and the stories uh, had a, a similar sense and feel about them. But I love the mixing it up and, and getting people with a really different point of view telling the story. And as is always the case in anthologies, some people are going to like some stories better than others, but it's yeah. going to be a variety. If you don't like this one, this next one might tickle your fancy. Oh, absolutely. And it's so great for the horror genre and the horror medium itself, just because that's kind of how stories are shared in, in general. I mean, going passing from century to century, it's just, you know, what what do you got for me? Exactly. What's your story? You know, so, um, <laughs> you know, on that note, what would the projectionist play for you? In other words, um, you know, what's your ultimate fear? Well, it, you know, it, it's funny. I'm not afraid of big rubber monsters. I'm not afraid of serial killers. 
Um, I'm not afraid of, of most of the antagonists in a horror movie. And it may be a boring answer, but what I'm afraid of is the health and safety of the people I care about mm-hmm. around me, you know, um, much more so than about myself. I've lost people. I lost a brother to AIDS. I lost another brother to a heart attack while he was surfing. I recently lost a sister um, who was Down syndrome and and had heart problems all her life. Uh, I've lost people who are close to me. And that's the scariest thing. When you you watch the deterioration of someone you're close to um, over the course of years or even if something happens quickly, those are the frightening things where where you feel you have no compass, where you feel rudderless, where where you you can't do anything about losing a life to somebody close to you or or their safety or their health. So it may be a boring answer or not no, the kind no, not of horror answer that that you are looking for, but that's the stuff that's potent to me, and that's why I wrote Dead mm-hmm. as something that and and writing the bullet. They're they're both about death and and things that you have no control over and and uh, how horrific it is to lose somebody close to you you know those are the things that i find frightening well that almost answers In my, my gray years <laughs> no no but I, and i and i think but i think that's that's just a, a timeless feeling for anyone that that understands mortality at some, at any point in their age you know and, and i think that almost kind of answers the next question i was going to ask where i was going to say are you afraid of hospitals because you know some of the most iconic sequences you filmed um especially in this you know with with dad and and also of course with one of my favorite scenes in the stand that you did the hospital is such a place that you you managed to kind of find some of the 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 most unexpected horror um and i wondered if that's some if that that's a place that speaks to you but i and i feel like you almost just answered that though um yeah, well, it's it is true, and I, you know, I haven't spent much time in hospitals as a patient. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, none at all since I was a kid. But um, you know, it is a horrifying place to be when uh, when you are around people who are on their way out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes it's a place of of glory and wonder and and healing. But as often as not, you know, it's a place where you hear the moans of the dying yeah. and, and you experience final breaths. And, uh, you know, it's certainly not my favorite place to be. Yeah. Well, that, that, that on that one. Um, I, uh, you know, sp- speaking well, of, we just bummed out your audience. There, no, so. <laughs> no, no. I think, I think everyone would pretty much agree. Unless they're having a, a child, I don't think the hospital is a great place to go to. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty much just the worst, but, um, and I'm OCD, so I'm, it's my, my least favorite place to be other than airports. But, um, you know, for yeah. postmortem, you just had the, arguably the biggest guest that you've had with Stephen King. And, and I wanted to know, like, how did that happen? And I know he, cause he's such a, I don't a, think there's a, any argument about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. But you've, you've, you've talked to some crazy big legends though, especially, um, you know, just in filmmakers in general. Um, but how did how did that happen? I mean, because he's so I know he's really hard to pinpoint and and to connect with. Well, we're friends. We've worked together a lot, and we had a very specific time mm-hmm. uh, that we were able to observe. It was the 25th anniversary of the stand, mm-hmm. and it was such a uh, a milepost for both of us, the miniseries, <clears throat> and uh, it just worked out really well. I mean, sometimes if you're talking to King and he's busy. 
he feels like he's going to be busy for the rest of his life and there will never be a free moment. Yeah. If you happen to reach him to ask him about something when he's not under a crush of work, which this timing happened to work out, um, then it was like, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's set a time. And so <laughs> it just, I was lucky enough to have asked him at the time. And, uh, and so that worked out really well. And, you know, we do have a, a, a good relationship. He's a friend and, and somebody I just think the world of, yeah. but, but having that specific anniversary date of the Stan's 25th anniversary, I think how was one of the keys to making it work out. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, even though we had to do it over Skype, it was just really great. And it was the first time we'd really seen each other, although you couldn't see it on <laughs> on your computer screen. It was audio only, but it was the first time we'd seen each other face-to-face -face in a few years. And, and spend an hour in conversation was really great. It's, it's not common to be able to get that kind of time with him, oh, totally. uh, no matter how close you are. Well, what do you? What are your thoughts on this? Kind hey, of... sorry to interrupt. We're about out of time. We have time for about one more question. Okay, great. Um, well, I mean, speaking of the stand, are you going to be involved in the next year's, uh, you know, resurgence with CBS All Access? Uh, I'm not involved with it, but uh, I am friendly with Josh Boone, the director and, and writer. Uh, although there are other writers on it as well, including Owen King. Um, but I'm thrilled to see what they can do with it. Their budget is four t more than four times what our budget <laughs> yeah, was. Um, but uh, to see filmmaking has come so far and television has come so far over the quarter decade, quarter century since we made our miniseries that I'm really excited to see what they do with it. Yeah. And, um, and I, I think Josh, as a huge King fan, it, it, his are the right hands to put this in. I'm I'm really thrilled to see what he does with it and what they do now that you can spend money on uh, production values that that we did not have and you know we made do with ingenuity and a script by King himself. So that was thrilling and the highlight of my life as a, a director. Certainly the most difficult project ever, but uh, you know. The world evolves, and, <laughs> and I'm exciting to see what uh, the stand in 2019 would be. Me too. And uh, though I will say, if it doesn't have crowded houses, don't dream it's over. It's uh, it's not the stand of me. <laughs> so, um, all right. Well, I'm thank you, you so that. much. That was my idea. <laughs> yeah, I loved, I, and I love it so much. Oh my God, it's, it still stays with me every day. But have a great one. And thank you so much. Good luck I with really everything. Appreciate it. <laughs> all right. Bye. All right. Thanks. Take care, Michael. <laughs> That was nice, right? God, I could listen to his voice all day long. Well, if you haven't seen Nightmare Cinema yet, know that it's currently available to rent and stream right now on iTunes or Amazon Prime. You can also follow Mick on Twitter at Postmortem and subscribe to his Postmortem series on the Fangoria Podcast Network. As I mentioned before, we also spoke to Joe Dante, the band, the myth, the legend behind Gremlins, the Burbs, the Howling, Inner Space, pretty much every VHS tape you ever grew up holding onto. So you can find that if you head over to Halloweenies, our sister series that's currently on Elm Street fighting old Freddy. In the meantime, we'll be back next week with more fresh content, as Rockin' Randall calls it. And until then, enjoy your long days and your pleasant nights. I got some hot friends. I got, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends.
Consequence Podcast Network.